you know, they've got a habit of stepping on one plant while watering another, and they haven't even bedded down their sail. Have, to you, a have you trademarked that, by the way? No, but I thought oh, I was That's actually a classic. Every, every, every now and then, I'd sort of, you know, every now and then you surprise us all, man. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. With over 25 years in the field, Cryo Malt has been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud supporters of Brews News. And this is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum. And joining me, as he always does, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Morning, Pete. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. That's good. That's good. Hey, uh, Pete, very quick. Happy birthday to you. I I won't sing anymore. Happy birthday for last week. Thank you very much. Uh, And and to you for um, tomorrow, by the time this... Drops, it'll be your birthday tomorrow. It will. It's a big 5-0 for me. But uh, thank, thank you. I, I was just about to say, I didn't say it on last week's show because I didn't want to prompt that, you know, people feeling that they had to because they'd been told. Um, but now everyone's... I'm, I'm one of the few, I think, like, uh, I don't... Fa- Facebook doesn't have my, my birth date, so I don't get the, you know, people you might know who've had their birthdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's a whole lot of people feeling compelled. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, but it, which is why I didn't say anything last week. But I, post facto, I wanted to wish you a happy birthday. I did. Any plans it. for the big five zero for the uh, for the milestone birthday, Matt? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I ignoring it, pretending deliberately. It um, oh, look, I, man, I, I'm, I'm that. That's not me. I, I, I was thinking about it, but then because we're going, I'm going away pretty much two days later. It was all a little bit hard to to try and plan. Um, and we've got a big family wedding on the day, so I'll be seeing my family, um, but not celebrating in any meaningful way. But I am getting to travel with you and uh, see some uh, foreign climbs. And celebrate we shall. With a, It's fair to say a whirlwind itinerary. You've just posted it through to me. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm sure we'll get some time to eat and drink beer, but um, there seems to be a lot of rushing between airport lounges and... Uh, Planes, trains and automobiles, yes. That's it. Yeah, no, it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun. So, listeners, next week... Uh, Expect the same, um, uh, you know, seamless production quality and Thanks value to, that you are, uh, to which you have become accustomed. Uh, but it might be a different. We might not know. We might not know what day it is. That's, yeah. That's what I'm so uh, I'll, I'll be in Portland, and you'll be in Singapore. So potentially, um, otherwise, or no, I think I'll be in Bangkok. No, and you'll be in, in you'll be in Singapore, and yeah, or or you'll be in Singapore, and I'll be in Melbourne. Unless we do it a day days. early, in which case I'll be in Singapore, and you'll still we'll, be in Melbourne before you leave. So you can we'll see what out. we're dealing with, <laughs> listeners. I tell you what, and it's because it's coming up to that uh, that time of the year again. It's bloody hard enough. Daylight when we're trying savings, to, yes. Just just to count it for daylight savings and go. Okay, so I'll call you at seven. No, no, no. Is it seven your time or seven mine? <laughs> but we get there anyway. Right, move to Queensland. Move to sunny Queensland. Yeah, it's a, the, the weather's uh, nice up here, and uh, we like a cold beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently, sometimes the brewers are just not particularly good at getting it cold enough. We'll talk about that shortly. Uh, Matt, for those who have missed uh, the headlines during the week, it's our job to alert them to uh, what might have made news this week. Uh, so if you're on the tractor, g'day, Stu. Uh, or if you're mashing in, g'day to all, uh, uh, all the brewers. If you're having a run, g'day to Daniel and James. And uh, If you're sales or, rep who's uh, sort of making all of those calls, selling your wonderful uh, beer. That's it. And they'll sort of, you know, get a little bit of a heads up on uh, what the trends are and what's making news this week. So, or, Matt. Actually, Prof, I, we are an yeah. inclusive podcast. So we don't want we. or if you are just a uh, beer interested person who likes our particular brand of uh, insight and industry discussion. 
News, not noise. News, not noise. Starting with, uh, Matt, shopping centres provide a new home for craft beer. We learned this week that uh, as breweries diversify and multiply, I don't know whether the breweries multiply or does the number of breweries multiply? Uh, anyway. Lesser or fewer. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, anyway, they found themselves in the unlikeliest of places. In the past few months, uh, Sweet Amber launched at an Adelaide shopping centre. Malt Shovel announced um, that uh, it's opening at the Sunshine Coast. Now, is it Bertan- Scotland, Bert. Britannia, Britannia. so that's like a yeah, like you know, Pacific. Um, yeah, it's a shopping centre, a suburb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Gage Roads, of course, took up occupancy at the Optus Stadium in Perth, leading to record beer sales this year. Um, Capital Brewing, Stomping Ground, um, both scored deals at their respective city airports, um, and all this highlights a trend towards craft beer finding itself in some very unbrewery-like spaces. Uh, so traditionally the home of chain outlets featuring mainstream beer brands, shopping centres, stadiums and airports are taking a long, hard look at their offerings and are moving away from what David Kleiner, who's the senior executive for retail leasing at global real estate company Colliers International, calls a cookie cutter approach consisting of national recognisable chains and franchises. And I must admit, I've, um, you've probably got you know friends of friends who travel and then bemoan the fact, oh, you know, we went to France and, oh, the food was terrible. But luckily they had McDonald's. And you go, Why would you go that far to have something you can walk to the end of your street to have? But that's a security blanket for some people. Yeah. Well, are you in that? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very much when in Rome um, to the point where it's uh, so going back to my unmentionable when when I turned the, um, the big 5-0. Uh, we had planned with my best mate, Dr. Lager, whose birthday is the day before mine, uh, to we, we we had planned to, to do Oktoberfest together and we ended up taking the families. We didn't do Oktoberfest because we, we had to change the, the timing a little bit. But I sort of made a point of, you know, profs eating by cliche and, and my Facebook posts were all sort of, you know, whatever town I was in, what what's the one thing that, you know, kind of stood out? I didn't want to eat what I could get at home. I wanted to try something different. And and obviously, you know, once in each town, I'd, I'd, I'd you know, pick the low-hanging fruit. But the rest of the time, I'd say, right, you know, what are you, what are you guys eating? What do you, what do you guys drink? You know, what what do you guys like? What do the locals do? What do the locals eat? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's becoming more prevalent now and things like, um, you know, to go into um, – last time I was up your way uh, and came back via – that was the Virgin – in the Virgin Terminal. So I think there was Windjammer uh, IPA amongst, you know, next to Furphy and, and something else, obviously. Well, back, back when they were independent. Back, back that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was. Just that seems so long ago, doesn't it? <laughs> back when they were independent, <laughs> two weeks ago. But it does show that, you know, that that's the that's, re- that's really been the exception. Yeah, I was just highlighting that um, not the taste has changed. You can still taste the independence, the former independence. But just that – them being at the airport wasn't as a, as a result of the Asahi CUB marketing. It was actually choosing a great local brewery um, purely on its own merits rather than big brewery ties. That, yeah, that was the point I was making in saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously Sydney's lucky to have a, a beer deluxe uh, where you can get at least a, a range of, you know, independent and just different beers. And so... And I think shopping centres are the same. I, I get a little bit tired when, or maybe I get a bit excited when I when I see something that's out of the box, um, something that's a, you know a little bit different. And I don't know about you know the sustainability. I guess retail is is very much like like the brewing caper now. You can either be a small little um, local community hub, or you can be really big. It's it's really difficult to be kind of in between. And and Pete, that that's the thing. And you know, like it's. 
it, it, it does reflect. It was a great article by Claire, by the way. And uh, we need to, uh, I'm going to try and engineer it so we've got a better studio so Claire and I can both um, do these because Claire's writing some uh, killer um, articles at the moment, including this one. Um, but yeah, so it was a really nice insight into looking at all of these places that craft beer doesn't traditionally you know, occupy and craft breweries have tended to be in sort of like cheaper, you know, industrial areas to brew and then fighting for taps um, in the trendy craft beer, you know, or the, the, the craft focus venues. And yeah. as craft um, and consumer acceptance of craft um, expands, we are seeing, you know, breweries start to creep up in places that were once just looking for the, you know, either the, the, the budget specials or the big brands or the people who would leverage their way into um, because consumers want something different. And, you know, whenever you and I or, you know, Muzzin, who's a real champion for um, tearing down the, the, the contract system, that they're un- illegal, they're trade restrictive, I always come back to the point that you could outlaw tap contracts tomorrow and yet publicans wouldn't change. You know, I, I, I think you might sort of see a very minor change in purchasing, Um because publicans are still, by and large, buying the beer that they want, um, and if they want a rebate, if they want you know to just somebody to turn up with kegs that they pour, and they don't have to train their staff and a million other things, they're still going to do that, and they're going to go to the big guys to have the one account, the one you know guy who they have to deal with, the guy who will come and fix their lines or whatever. If craft beer really wants to, um, you know, and by craft beer probably mean independent craft beer really wants to um embed itself and expand its um horizons it needs to tell a compelling story so consumers want it because as this story shows um you know shopping centers are looking you know they in, in a in an online economy um you know having a bricks and mortar store you need or a shopping center you need a compelling reason to get people in through your doors, and if people want the you know a unique experience, that's something that they will get from having you know the sort of small local breweries on tap, or having a little um, you know barrel room brewery owned barrel room in in the shopping centre or in the airport or whatever, and that's just consumer demand. So rather than bitch and moan about contracts that are a dead hand on the growth of craft beer in a lot of ways, really get out there and work out how to activate this thing called independent craft beer and make it a compelling offering that consumers are asking for and the change will come. And I think this is a harbinger of what's possible. Yeah. Yep. Uh, speaking of harbingers, um, and it, it, it's funny that harbingers is one of those words that's usually followed by the words of doom. Like you, you never have, oh, a harbinger of, of glad tidings. Do you? <laughs> Can you have a harbinger of glad tidings? You need the next one, Pete. I'm going to get on Ask Google. Yeah, because, uh, well, that leads us into um, our weekly ABAC update and uh, what are they up to? Um, and what a fair up to, I, I guess, is, is probably more concise or more more accurate uh bottle shops and venues in the abac firing line uh bottle shops and venues including a sydney restaurant in a hilton hotel have been on the receiving end of the abac complaints process in a raft of judgments released this week Uh, while no brewers have fallen foul of a complainant the adjudications highlight the major issues around alcohol advertising that venues and bottle shops need to be aware of the complaints landed on national bottle shop chains including celebrations bottle mart and liquor land as well as an upmarket hotel and an RTD retailer. 
uh, encouraging excessive drinking and irresponsible behaviour as a result of alcohol consumption proved to be the biggest issues for complainants to ABAC in this latest round of judgments. Not much to say this one, you know, no breweries in the firing line. It is, look, I, I would just, any of our industry professionals that are listening, encourage them to, you know, either read the summaries or go and actually uh, read the ABAC um, judgments because even when it's not a brewery-related issue, it does highlight the issues that anonymous complainants are zeroing in on um, and also the, the the logic that you need to, you know, it's becoming increasingly complex. Um, and actually, without sort of going, making this another fair bashing or, you know, fair discussion, um, it's really interesting to see the level of insight that the anonymous complainants are showing in making their complaints. Um, you know, the, the, the people who are making these complaints are obviously well-versed in ABACs, well versed in the code, so yeah. it's not it, it, it's not just some mum or dad walking into a bottle shop and going, hmm, that troubles me a bit. I wonder who I I'll, and go home and Google and sort of saying, oh, there is someone I can report this to and see. It is somebody that has an axe to grind against the industry who knows the code very well because um, you know a couple of weeks ago we talked about skateboarding and there was a complaint made about using a skateboard is inherently dangerous. Um, one of the ones for some alcoholic icy poles um, was talking about they appealed to children but also saying because it was photographed next to a pool um, they're sort of saying this is suggesting that it's safe to drink and swim um, and <laughs> so just, where's a better place in a, on a hot day to have a beer well, whether it's in icy pole form or otherwise but sitting on I'm going to be sitting next to the pool inflatable recliner <laughs> in the middle of the pool having a beer is one of the great you know but to, to me this actually shows you know, where FAIR is completely shooting itself in, in the foot. Last week we talked about that. Not, not uh, that we're, not that we're uh, assuming that, or, or we're... Uh, uh, well, there, there's we're, a lobby. There, there's because there's a anonymous. very militant lobby. Yeah, um, yeah but, the, the, but the complaints are, are anonymous. So we're not com- suggesting yeah. definitively that, that the complaints have come from FAIR, just from some other clearly well-organised structure that is fluent in the code. Well, yes. <laughs> and and well, has, okay, the, so, yes, has the, the budget and the people to... Point um, taken. Yeah, no, 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 no. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. And, uh, but, so, yeah, but... Alleged. But, but this is where people who want to knock the, the, the ABAC code and set up rival codes that nobody respects or adheres to, but the people who are making these complaints are so, you know, are, are actually giving... ABAC legitimacy because they see, well, here is one successful complaint, so we're going to try and take that. Well, skateboards are unsafe, so swimming in the pool and drinking is unsafe. You can't encourage people to drink in the pool. Um, and so it is this, you know, constantly move, trying to move the ball forward by your next level of complaint, which is actually giving ABAC incredible legitimacy or setting it up so they can just go, this whole thing is, you know, this whole thing fails because it's a paper tiger. Yeah, it's, it's a paper tiger where they're actually engaging in the in the process in a way that ABAC is creating rules that are becoming increasing industry standards. So yeah, I'd, I'd not wanted to um, go. Yeah, but anyway, I, I did. Anyway, um, now children, your word for the day is harbinger. A harbinger is a person or thing that foreshadows or foretells the coming of someone or something. One who provides lodgings, especially the officer of the Royal English Household, who formally preceded the court when travelling to provide and prepare lodgings. So it's a it's a forecast. So it doesn't have to be of doom. 
Um, it can be no, but it's one. It's certainly one of those words that has, in common usage, that comes in to tell you of something. So we've all learnt something today, children. Yeah, there we go. Oh, what? sorry, not children over the yeah. age of eighteen only. Eighteen, exactly. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> anyway, enough silliness. Run us through the next uh, the next story for those who might have missed it. Uh, CUB snaps up canned wine company Riot. Riot Wine Co., the only company in Australia that sells wine exclusively in kegs and cans with its range of quality wines, led by its flagship Rosé, helping it to become the leader in the field, has been bought by CUB. Yeah, that's an interesting one, I thought, um, for such a young company. I've copped a bit of touch-up for weighing in on it. Oh, did you? I did just on the uh, on the news group. I just have said, you know, this is the company that drove Southcorp into the ground and ha- then had to sell it at oh, a yes. fraction yeah, yeah. of a price so in that, order to yeah, realise it's, it's, it is its fair own to say sale. that the artist formerly known as Carlton and United Breweries did have a poor track record with um, uh, with wine. But as James Oman pointed out, and James realize, Atkinson and former and, editor James Atkinson. Yep, but James Oman, who 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 did work for the big house. Um, and was involved, I think, at, at the time. Did he say um, that Southcorp? It, like, well, Southcorp was already a troubled business, and CUB probably shouldn't have bought it, and all of those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And, and I, I think I sort of made the point that I think you know I was actually not so much looking at the company because James quite accurately because James um, Atkinson in his Drinks Adventures podcast spoke to the right wine guys and I wasn't dissing the business that's been acquired in any way in the same way that you know I haven't dissed Feral um, or see or um, you know Pirate Life Four Pines, or Four Pines. Life. yeah but my point was it's been bought by a company that doesn't have a fantastic track record I mean they don't have a fantastic track record of you know leveraging the purchases that they've made in the beer industry and they've got an even worse um, record of uh, you know becoming a multi-beverage company without you know because they've they've just got no attention span and as I said on Facebook you know they've got a habit of stepping on one plant while watering another and they haven't even bettered down their sale. Have, to you, a have you trademarked that by the way? No, but I thought oh, I was That's actually a classic. Every, every now and then I'd sort of you know every now and then you surprise us all, Matt. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Even the broken clock is right twice a day. That's right. But look, well done to, to Joe Cook. And um, so those in the in the biz will, will know uh, Joe and, and ATS from uh, back in the Kegstar, uh, the, the start of, of, of Kegstar, um, had then branched off to to create Riot. And I think probably the first time, first time I saw them would have been Sydney Indies. Uh, so last year um, was, it, I think, the first time they had the, they had Riot they had a little riot bar um, mm-hmm. with the with the the wine on tap. Yep, and and look clearly, it's if you look at um, Hopscotch is probably a good example, uh, which is a, a great little bar on uh, Southbank there on the on the Arrow River in um, in Melbourne, and they have I think they've got thirty six odd taps, um, of which you know they've got eighteen rotating uh, primarily independent beer taps, and they also uh, have a little brew house there that they they have in the past made their own beer from. But then they've also got you know a red and a white and a a, cockt- uh, a cocktail on tap. Mm-hmm. Um, so that clearly is breaking down those barriers of uh, oh yeah it doesn't you know they've still got wine by the bottle. I bought uh, last time we were on holidays in Adelaide. Um, discovered uh, we dis- we had discovered a, a a wine that Mrs Pilsner particularly liked and uh, didn't interfere with her because it was sulfites and all that sort of thing. So it didn't have preservatives and whatever. Um, and found them in little 250 mil cans, which is just a nice little, 
Um, so obviously, anyway, what I'm saying is it, it seems to we, we seem to have broken that barrier that, you know, because uh, wine in cans from memory, somebody had a crack at it a, a decade ago and it, and it died on the vine. Pardon the pun. Was so, that a pun so, or was it? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and look, the, the point James uh, Atkins made, apart from that it being a, a, like a really sort of exciting young business doing good things, um, was that because it's on keg um, and in cans, there's a certain complementary um, nature. I don't want to put words in James's um, mouth, but that's what I understood him to be saying. Um, and, and that's very true. You know, like if you're selling keg beer on, on tap, um, nice to be able to sort of run some wine through those, um, you know, through, through, through taps as well. So from a business point of view, it makes a lot of sense. But again, it comes down to CUB. Um, you know, they used to think, well, we've got all of these beer reps out on the road. How hard will it be to, to get to, to sell wine? Um, and they just made it, you know, quite was the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, again, it just I, wasn't as easy. I think there, and look, I think they'll, they'll admit now in hindsight that the, the strategy was flawed. Something that came up in the, the U S and I might even see if I can find a post, a letter in a post in the show notes. Um, there was something in the New York times about, um, Overseas, all of the big brewers are divesting themselves of their wine investments, um, you know, Constellation people, because they're still struggling to make a go of it. Um, so, you know, I, look, I'd imagine Wright's a fairly small little company. We're not talking about sheep stations in terms of the investment. It's, I'm sure it's a nice return for the the, the founders, but it's not a, a, a huge thing. And with all of the, you know, booze bud and all of the, the, the bits and pieces that CUB are starting to put in, they're putting a toe on the water to sort of see how the, the, the market works. Um, it's potentially a good strategy. But I've seen nothing about CUB in the various changes of ownerships to date that shows that they are any better at taking a broad approach to product um then then they have you know they've, they've got a little... they certainly don't seem to have the nurturing skills that some of the other yeah uh, anyway. big breweries who have, who have bought smaller companies have, have shown enough for that one yep uh next story uh shock revelation matt queensland has put ice in their pack ales now okay prof i, I know that it's rankled with you in the past that uh it was called pack ale and for a while it was called pack ale in queensland but did you notice that this year at the exhibition people just it's stone and wood and Stone and Wood is just synonymous with Pacific Ale. Did you notice yeah, that this year? Like I, I did notice that far more people, yeah, just asking for a Stone and Wood and said, well, we've got, you know, three on tap and another two Green in Coast the... Lager. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh no, oh. just Stone and Wood. The original. Well, they don't even call I have, it. That, 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 they're starting to get a little bit of traction because we had it uh, on the the tap deckle and the um, the shingle. A lot of people were saying, it, when you say, oh, sorry, which Stone and Wood were we after? Oh, the original. Yep. Yeah, so I think they're blissfully unaware that they're kind of reinforcing the uh, the, the whole you know trademark versus style. But also shows, debate. yeah, but shows but the whole seriously, challenge. Matt, in seriously, being what are you what are you doing up there? Like, I, I get the weather's hot. Now, mate, I, I can it honestly is cold say, enough without having to put ice in it. Now, I'm surprised Come when on. you said, you know, I, I did have people who asked for ice in ginger beer, um, and that that's fine. But I did not have anybody ask me for ice in the Pacific Isles. So. You tell me that you had at least two or three do it. So maybe there's yep. something about you that you look like the sort of rube that would do that sort of thing. And I just have the cool contempt that no one would bother uh, trying. Um, either that or I've blocked it out of my memory when I've shot them down in flames um, and sent them scurrying away. Well, mate, but, I, put, I put most people off getting ice in any of their drinks by saying, yeah, no worries. No, I've just got to pop next door to the um, the, the Vietnamese stand. Um, now it's, <laughs> it's ice that they keep the prawns cold in. Is that okay? 
Because we don't yeah, actually look, have eyes. I, 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 it, oh, no, that'll be fine as it is. I wouldn't say that it doesn't happen. Um, it's not a thing was my word. Um, it's not no, a no, thing. No, no, true. No, I get that. And thanks to – so it was uh, Luke Robertson, I think, via uh, one of his followers on uh, Ale of a Time, the Twitter feed, uh, who had said that, you know, is this a thing, you know, people asking for ice in there. Specifically – um, Stonewood Pacific Ale was was listed as the thing, so I don't know whether it's because it's that light, fruity, uh, easy drinking sort of thing. Yeah, maybe it's and a bit of a hybrid. At it a bit spritzier. That's it. I uh, when I was down uh, at the brewery, I got a can of the Gatherer, um, which is their sort of light wheatish sort of ale with uh, watermelon, uh, watermelon, mint, mint, and cucumber, and cucumber, um, which I, is I, an absolute cracker, and good to see that that's uh, that's returned. On the and weekend, a, I, uh, I I had that with a, just a shot of gin, and I would quite happily have put a, a cube or two of ice in it um, to go. So, uh, so you're saying it is a thing? No, 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 no. I'm just saying I wouldn't put ice in my Pacific Ale. It's not a thing in Queensland. There may be some outliers who deserve to be uh, sort of sneered at and shot down with scorn. But the whole concept of putting uh, ice in the right beer at the right time in the right occasion is not something that I find a complete anathema. All right. I just, I'm just happy that – well, I'm happy and sad. I'm happy that my ridiculing of people and correcting them when they had called it pack ale – and that was that was very <laughs> much just a, a Brisbane or Queensland it was, yeah, thing yeah, yeah. calling it pack ale. The sales reps call it pack ale. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, Huberto Babalucci Doyle, um, as he's known on his Facebook page, um, that's not me. I wouldn't ever say that. Um, but I'm, I'm sure he's called it pack ale, and I'm sure some of the reps have called it pack ale. So yeah, well, I, I can say we've slowly removed that from the from the lexicon. As I'd it be should. disgusted now if they're going to okay, I'll call it Pacific ale, but put ice in it. Not a thing. No. Don't do it. Just, just don't. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, because uh, it's not the hard. Things that we hope weren't a thing, or wish weren't that's, a thing, or hope. That's right. It's not hard not to put ice in your thing. Speaking of uh, hard and ice, um, will hard iced teas take off in Australia, Matt? Uh, now, adding alcohol to what should be a soft drink isn't a new concept, um, as we've talked about. And mate, I, I will say this is one of the reasons why we've touched on it a couple of times when I scan the news in the US. Um, and actually, what's that? Um, white claw that's in my feet everywhere, which is the alco- alcoholic spritzer or spritzer. Yeah. So we, uh, we have salsa? to try one of those while we're over over there, Prof. All right. Well, perhaps we'll share one. Just purely, yeah, yeah, purely for research purposes. And I've also been told just to disappear down the rabbit hole again. Um, also been told that we should go and try some medicinal cannabis, but I'm not certain about that one. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. No, no too. Well, Portland is the place to do it, though. I think there well, are eight, 83 different retail outlets. Yeah, Denver's the same. And, mate, I, I, I can tell you that I, I, I know I can grate on your nerves at the best of times, but uh, <laughs> I, I would hate to think. You on the hoochie, I think that would be <laughs> just a bridge too far for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mate, I, I, I've got enough insight to, uh, to, to appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> uh, anyway, and as a trend that looks at to head, head this way, ready to drink, um, beverages have been on the decline in Australia since their heyday in the 2000s, following a 70% tax hike. Anyone who says that taxes don't work are wrong. This is a good example of what they do. Uh, on the drink class in 2008, in order to deter young people from binge drinking, uh, this decline has plateaued in recent years. Um, Four Pines owned Brookvale Union, in turn owned by CUB, certainly thinks that they have some life, and so is hanging its hat on the trend with its latest offering of vodka and peached iced tea. 
Mm. Mm. Look, prop. So, yeah, last... peach iced tea, very popular. Vodka, very popular. Last week was it Deschutes that we talked about had a range of um, malt-based... Malt, yeah, FMBs. FMBs, flavoured malt beverages, and also so the low-carb. And again, um, once upon a time... Um, we would have just said, oh, this is CUB, you know, um, this is the flog voice. Um, this, yep. uh, CUB, they've taken over four points and now they're sort of turning in. Um, but it, it's reflecting the market, um, you know. Um, yeah, it is. And I was lucky enough to um, to uh, host a dinner at which Ryan Kern from um, Deschutes was a guest. Um, and we, we made some suggestions because he uh, – now, Ryan has a, a, a very vague – um, tenuous connection to Australia because when he was in, I think, the third grade, uh, he had to do a, a report and he did a report on koalas, having never seen one. <laughs> and so I said, well, Deschutes, I said, you, because they do they do, uh, have a, the Deschutes Pilsner, <laughs> Da Schutz, which was D-A. What? Sorry, uh, I thought you were going to, yeah, anyway, don't get D-A hyphen Schutz, S-H, S-C-H, double O-T-Z. So, you know, cool cool kids speak kind of, you know, faux shizzle kind of thing. Yep. Um, but interestingly, I think that was – Deschutes was the the name that they've then used for this um, alcoholic, seltzer lemonade spritzer sort of thing. We said, well, look, you know, you've obviously got a connection with Australia, with the uh, the Koala Project. Really, this new beer now is, is, is just crying out for the Wombat because Da Wombat, Deschutes, Da Eats – the roots, the leaves, and hello, are you there? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'd, all, all I can think of is there's, there's not going to be any be was, uh, cold yeah. opening based on that gag. No. <laughs> but anyway, look, it was funny because then everyone, of course, was uh, trying to explain to Ryan what a what a wombat was, and he 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 left thinking that it was we actually made up a, a, a creature like a platypus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, but. Interesting that yeah, Dushoots was the this iced tea. No, so what was the one we had last week that we talked about? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a shoots. Spritzer yeah. Seltzer. Spritzer Seltzer, whatever. Yeah. So obviously they they look at that as well. You know, in order for us to maintain and 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 Deschutes must look at, at things like uh, Bridgeport and say, well, hang on, if you you can be really big and you can be really um, iconic, and yet lose your relevance. So I guess they must be looking at, at ways that they can, uh, you know, shore up their numbers. It's not going to be with the the oddball seasonals or the, um, you know, native ingredients and that sort of thing. We, we need to, you know, like Sam Adams has done or Boston Beer Company has done, to, to branch out. And look, I, I think good luck to them. I, I don't think it lessens in any way the relevance of their, of their beer offerings. But vodka and peach iced tea is not – it's not the sort of thing that I'm into. But, you know, if it provides another string to the bow, is it a bad thing? No, look, again, you know, it, look, I'll, I'll freely admit that, you know, if, if I was blogging on Beer Mat 15 years ago, I would have, uh, you know, been – Would have Matt. Yeah, I, I would have poo-pooed. I would have uh, yucked your yum, um, as they say in the US. Um, but, uh, yeah, look – as the, the the business matures, um, it, it, it's it's the craft beer business, as we say. Um, I, I like the fact that it's not under the Four Pines brand, um, but um, because the more breweries 
have line extensions into these sorts of areas under their own brand or, or whatever. I think it does lessen, going back to, to what I was saying about building passion into craft beer and consumer enthusiasm for craft beer as an experience. Um, I, I think that the more the small breweries resemble the big multi-beverage um, breweries that just want to put liquid in a can that sells units, um, it, it, it makes it hard to sort of make craft beer special or define craft beer or enunciate a case for government looking differently at craft beer over anything else. And there's a whole lot that comes up with it. But from a purely business point of view, it's uh, you know not bad for business. Yeah. It's all irrelevant anyway, Matt, because in 10 years, um, we won't have a planet. <laughs> this week, there's the um, climate strike for students. And Jesse Jungawala from Craft Instinct um, has teamed up with Crafty Pint um, to raise awareness within the beer industry Um no beer on a dead planet. Yeah, no beer on a dead planet to look at sustainability. And um, look, uh, this is something that, that we've – it's close to our hearts and it's something that uh, some of our suppliers and sponsors and um, have, I guess, given us some a little bit of info on in terms of sustainability. And, Matt, you were lucky enough, I think, to sit in on the uh, BrewCon seminar based around, you know, in terms of sustainability, is a keg, a bottle, or a can the most, um, I guess, you know, uh, environmentally friendly? Environmentally yeah. friendly. And yeah, and, and I've looked into it, and my understanding was always that when I, look, I looked at it probably about eight or nine years ago for an article I wrote for a environmental magazine, and um, my understanding was that kegs were best because, it, like, a keg can conceivably last 50 years. And then it's just refilling it, um, and then you know, particularly a, a keg drunk from a brew pub or a, a local brewery is the most efficient um, because it's, it's travelled less. It's travelled. There's you only have to make the keg once, um, and if yep. there's low miles on it, then that's the most efficient way um, to do it. And um, but then you've got to factor in washing and you know chemicals used to required to wash. And the energy used and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, and, and I think the presentation, and I'm just sort of looking at it now, focused largely on the C, CO2 emissions. Um, pack material is the biggest footprint, so I probably shouldn't go into it. But there is a great Claire did a great summary of um, James Perrin's presentation. James, of course, from from uh, Stone and Wood, who from I think Stone is the his title is sustainability and environment, something like that. Manager. Yep. Yep. So kegs are by looking at the graph. Um, kegs are by far and away, particularly upstream, which is post use. Um, they're about the same for core and downstream. They're about the same. So kegs, you know, which is upstream from the brewery, um, kegs are by far the best. And then it's a little bit touch and go. Um, I believe that cans um, with zero percent recycled content. And a bottle with seventy-five percent recycled content, a can with zero percent recycled content is marginally better than um, kegs. But it was one of the interesting things, and, and marginally the, better than bottles, not kegs. Marginally better, but but it, 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 it's one of the things that really troubles me, Prof. And I, I think it's you know again, so sort of with fifty years on the planet, and seeing some of the discussions that have taken place, you know, when when 
we were kids, there was a whole range of things. I remember in school, you know, the, the hole in the ozone layer was a big thing. So it was campaign against that to get rid of the... Um, yep, stop the hydrofluorocarbons. Hydrofluorocarbons. Um, yep. Lead in petrol. So we suddenly had to uh, get you know, lead, lead in petrol. petrol and all of those yep. sorts of things. And you sort of see... Um, all of which was irrelevant because the, um, the then Soviet Union and the US were going to destroy the planet anyway. Well, that, we had the, the five five minutes to midnight. Absolutely, so it's a, it's a bit of perspective, and like my fundamental premise as a human being um, is, we need to try and consume less, um, because as soon as you consume, you are having an environmental impact on on the planet. Um, yeah, one way or another. If I look like I'm dressing from the 1980s, it's because I probably <laughs> am, um, <laughs> which is one of the ways I cut down. I can, um, I can get another season out of these. <laughs> well, I do wash them, but you know, you know, using environmental. But it, 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 it's one of those big challenges that that we face. Is that if we are going to consume, um, and you know, I try and drink as locally as I can, and then branch out based on, um, you know, uh, branch out based on what I have to do for work, which is one of those unavoidable things. Um, but sometimes I think we get so head up in the. Um, plastic is bad. That um, you know, we 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 don't think because I remember like it, it was in the seventies and eighties. You used to have the brown paper bags that you bring your. Uh, oh, SSW. My first job was a was a bag boy at SSW, and you you had these you know sturdy brown paper bags that that all the the shopping went in. And back then too, there was probably less of the frozen stuff. Um, uh, it, oh, this it, is the cold meals and, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, ready meals and all that sort of thing. It was, so, you know, and if you did have that sort of stuff, you know, the, the frozen chook or a turkey or whatever it was, you'd double bag with those. Um, but we were thinking then, geez, you know, this is really good. Then all of a sudden, oh, no paper because we're cutting down the Amazon, which we're not, to make. Isn't it now? You, oh, you and I were discussing this at one point. Yeah, well, it, 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 <laughs> is it now or then? The paper bags were made from what otherwise would have been mulch or, or burnt. It was the leftovers. When you're talking about paper bags, when you're talking about um, you know save the forest, which was a big campaign, and so paper bags become um, and paper straws and all of those sorts of things that were available then become a, a target, um, as if well. These old gross forests are going into to paper bags, but my understanding, and I could be wrong, and that, that's where we probably need to engage with environmental consultants and people that know a little bit more about it. But you know, paper bags, you know, those sorts of cheap paper generally came from um, you know wood um, that wasn't killing down, old, old, you know, killing cutting down old growth forests. It was from the offcut of forestry timber used in housing and things like that. So it was actually pretty sustainable. Um, and we're now being encouraged to go back to things like bamboo and, uh, you know, sustain sustainably grown timber um, rather than plastic. But plastic, to some extent, came about because of the fear of paper bags. We need to be very, very careful when we're looking at it that we don't look at easy solutions to avoid not consuming, um, if, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. thinking, well, I've bought this product um, I, I can have this whiskey that has got 18,000 food miles on it because I didn't put a straw in it, uh, which sometimes is, I think, the lazy thinking um, that we can reward ourselves because we, we've done the easy thing. Um, and it's, it, 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 it's really looking at how sustain, sustainably our, we're living in, in its entirety. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and look, it's just I, I guess it's one of those things that you you need to question at every point. Don't just assume that because you know one of your followers on Twitter said this that it's it's the truth. I mean, you look at how easy it was and how quickly. Um, and I assume up in Queensland, same as down here in Victoria, there's pretty much a, an overall ban now on on single use or you know what a term single use plastic bags. Um, and yet the numbers of of garbage bags <laughs> um, sales has has spiked. Um, as a result of of supermarkets not handing out the single use plastic bags, <laughs> and, uh, and, then, yeah. and then we're encouraged to use the um, you know uh, multiple use plastic bags, but the energy used to make those compared to the energy used to make a plastic bag, um, you would need to reuse your your plastic bag basically every day for three hundred and eighty years before it would be. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Again, I, I I don't know, but I, I know that as a, as a macro trend, it's very easy to do the easy thing and think that you're do, you're making a big difference um, when you're actually making a very small difference or making no difference at all. You're just sort of doing the popular course, and it's yeah. Sort of, you know, and so, as I say, some of our um, suppliers and and partners in in Bruce News have given us some interesting information based on, um, for example, us looking at. Uh, swapping out the plastic uh, schooner cups for, you know, is is there a possibility of having next year at, at the Ecker, for example, at Craft Beer Alley, could we get some aluminium? A, a washable aluminium cup washable, that, yeah, yeah, the, reusable. The, 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 that we can reuse and, and, and those sorts of things. But then again, you know, the, sometimes health concerns because you need to make sure that they're being washed properly and they're food grade and, and, and all of those things. But it's, a, you know, and, and even looking at um, recycling um, and it, I don't know whether I want to sort of segue into. We were sort of talking to Rallings, who are our, our, our partners, and we're sort of talking about just this. And you know, sometimes they find that people are resistant to having a plastic wrap on the outside. You know, they're, they're shrink wrapped um, labels, but they've looked into it um, in terms of. And, you know, this is an ad. This is just one of one of those things to, to prove the point. Um, but. The, the, the shrink wrap label that goes on a um, can versus, you know, brewers want a, um, a paper um, Like a label. sticker label. Yeah, a sticker label that sort of goes on and says, oh, well, we don't want plastic on our cans because plastic's bad. And there is a perception around that. But apparently the silicon backing paper, the silicon covered backing paper on a... Um, a roll of labels. On a roll of labels because it's got silicon can't be recycled and it goes into landfill um, and you've got the energy and, and that's a hidden, um, you know, cost Big, of, yeah. of labelling. And But but then even printed um, cans, if, if you, and they've spoken to their um, suppliers and recyclers to try and work out what's the, the, the best thing for them. Um, and that highlights how hard it is for them when the, the, the research is going in. That I, I understand that if you use a silver bullet that's unlabeled, it can go into recycling and be 100% recycled and come back out as an aluminium can. But even if you've got um, ink printing on it or a paper label or a plastic label, it all goes in, the, the furnace gets melted down, but then that aluminium that comes out can only be used for, I mean, something else that um, isn't food grade, you know, whether I, I presume aluminium doors or something. So it can be recycled, but not into cans. But in that sense, oh, okay. they're all equally. Um, and I, again, I think there's probably. Would you? Would it be fair to say there's an assumption that aluminium cans are um, easier to recycle, and they come back as you know ultimately as, as as many cans as you want? But it, in fact, it's only most. The ones. And, and I think in hindsight, looking at um, James Perrin's presentation, that's why 
they looked at cans with 0% recycled content because most aluminium cans aren't recycled into other aluminium cans because cans, of this yeah. but, but this issue. But, you know, from a business point of view, it's so hard trying to make the right environmental decision because there are a whole lot of hidden costs and there are consumer perceptions and, and, and that sort of thing. But uh, anyway, yes, yeah, so I'm a little bit uncomfortable bringing rallies in, in in that sense because it was a conversation that I'd had, but it just coincided. But yeah, it's it, and it, look, there is a lot of responsibility on us as individuals um, to educate ourselves and marketing doesn't provide the edu- you know, marketing no, is, is often no. a low, low hanging fruit um, and you know on no beer on a dead planet day um, if you are marking it you know do something meaningful you know protest and tell your um, local member that that it, that it matters to you but don't be the slacktivist and just sort of paste something to Facebook saying that you marched or whatever actually spend an hour researching one of your consumptions um, to try and find some good information about how you can, in, in, in your daily life, can make a meaningful change yourself. Yeah, good call. Speaking of meaningful calls, um, 1300 852 235 would be a good number to call if you wanted more information on, you know, plastic sleeve wraps versus uh, printed cans and that sort of thing. As for, I said, uh, I was really uncomfortable raising that because I don't want it to make sound like we're doing that as an ad because it, it wasn't. Um, but maybe, you know... The, no, but that's that's exactly the same, Matt, as any other of our listeners who has um, either a product or, yep. or knowledge or an idea. Here's what we speak about on one of the episodes and then gets in contact with us, as Brad from Rowling's Labels and Stickers uh, and Packaging did, uh, just to clarify, yeah, the, some of the misconceptions around... And look, at least those guys are looking into, okay, okay, we, we want to provide a product, we've got a business to run, but yeah, if there's a, a better way, if there's a more sustainable way, if there's... Oh, hang on, there's a bit of misinformation about, you know, this packaging versus this packaging, um, we've got the the soapbox, if you like, to, um, I guess, clear up some of the misconceptions. Absolutely. And maybe, you know, that's something the brewers can do. You know, like the, the ad for this week is if you're a brewer, you know, speak, just give the guys at Rallings a call to discuss, you know, the research that they've made into how they can reduce their sustainable footprint um, and, you know, the, the 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 various packaging options and the impact that they have found from recyclers that they're having on, on the, uh, the, the, the waste stream. So, yeah, and this yeah. this goes back for me personally, Matt. Goes back to a 2012 uh, craft beer conference in San Diego, and one of the seminars that I sat in on was on sustainability. Uh, and this was early days of of sort of you know cans versus bottles and that sort of thing. And, and I remember some of the things were, and this was all um, state, uh, as in USA based um, uh, data, but that you know whether it was bottles or cans, one of them was was far more easily recyclable, but in the US, those tended to uh, not be recycled by the person. You know, like there, there, there weren't the avenues to to recycle. So you, with everything, you've got to kind of look at, at both ends of it and say, okay, yeah, this is a much more sustainable product. But if you don't have the infrastructure to actually recycle that, uh, and I think we're probably going to get to that, the, the container deposit scheme is probably one of those examples where where people are trying to do the right thing and the system is either, has you know, as, as often is with bureaucrats, it's a system designed by somebody who has no intention of ever using the system or the product themselves and, and so thinks they're providing a, a solution whereas in fact they're, they're just creating new problems. Um, we need to look at both sides of, of all of it, which leads yep. us nicely into um, the mailbag. Well, I, I thought you wanted to talk about the Drink Easy Awards, which was the podcast that we did 
last oh, week. Oh, you had a chat with last week, so we probably yeah. Can't. Sorry, yes, yeah, yeah, with Mike Benny. So for those who haven't listened to it, get a uh, press pause now. Go and listen to to that. But basically, uh, Mike Benny, uh, in conjunction, in collaboration with a few others, has has come up with uh, an alternative to, uh, I guess, what he um, derisively referred to as you know old fashioned or old. Um, methodology uh, awards that he felt were were irrelevant because they they didn't um, account for you know some of the the new avant garde or outside of the ordinary products. Is that yeah yeah and, and look it, it, summary, it, as, as I said in my intro it? it came about because Topher Baum um, Ben Topher Baum, Baum. Baum. Oh, it's Baum okay I remember we we sort of Baum like game Baum like yeah. game okay Topher Baum. Um, uh, uh, email me to say, look, these may not have come across your desk, but you know, I'm really backing these awards because when you make beers like I do, they don't necessarily fit into a um, like a, a, a judge's criteria, style criteria for the Australian Independent Beer Awards, and so we miss out. And so these awards are great because it's people who are just looking at drinkability. Um, and so, so that was oh, look, I'll, I'll have a bit of a chat to Mike, um, and I was hoping to get Topher um, on just to have a bit of a chat with him about it. And I, I guess awards are what they set out to be, whether it's the Hottest 100, whether it's um, the AIBAs, you know, whatever. They are what they said. They are not a universal, um, this is the best beer or the best or, you know, whatever. No, no nobody's, nobody's claiming to be the definitive um, adjudicator of, yep. you know, taste, style, um, you know, achievement. Yeah. And until we can come up with a machine where you just pour whatever the beverage is into the top of it, and it analyzes it and spits out a you know a, a bronze, a silver, a gold, or a or a, a numerical, on the chemical, yeah, based on, and, and so you've got a like a very... at the end of the day, we put it into our mouths not because it's you know sustaining us or because it's um, you know it, it provides essential multiple you know vitamins and minerals. It's because we enjoy it. It's and so I do get I do get that there there does need to be and certainly from my experience in the AIBAs and in the Indies, there's uh, the the technical and the style classification are still very important, but there's more emphasis given to yeah. But how does it how does it taste? How does it like you just and and most judges will say you you have a gold medal beer when it, you know it's presented to you as a one of five. You go yeah that one mm, yeah it's okay and I'll write down some some notes on that, boom, and you get to the third one and all of a sudden you just, everyone, oh, oh, okay, hang up, there's something, there's something about this. And it's and it's not just they got the colour right. It's not just, oh, geez, that aroma's nice. It's just a, an amalgamation of everything. And sometimes the style is, whilst it's still counted, um, because what you what you do need to do is make it a, an even playing field for all the players. You know, you can't be putting an IPA into the, you know, reduced alcohol category because oh, but it's only 5.7% and purists would say uh, an IPA needs to be 58 So it's reduced alcohol for an IPA. You know, you're not trying to game the mm. system. It, it makes it even it, it fair, fair for everybody. Um, and I think we've moved sort of towards, I guess, what, what Mike and his crew are are trying to achieve my issue with what they're trying to achieve is uh you know liam Pereira, very well known beer identity um, certified cicerone um you know no uh, works at um batch brewing um you know highly regarded sydney and knows his beer the rest of the panel you know uh various drinks writers or you know so food writers or or whatever 
Um, and, and hello to all our friends who are drinks writers. There's no, no not casting no, no. any aspersions on oh, your no, no, character. No, 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 no. But, but what, what I was trying to say is that they are a knowledgeable. They're coming at it from a very different They're a knowledgeable mindset. Segment, you know, and, and, you know, and that they see themselves as opinion leaders, as, as, as we do. Like, that's not what I'm saying. And, and I don't know that they are any closer to what consumer perception, the broad scale, you know, they're going to be coming at it from a still an industry insider, informed insider's point of view. Um, when for, for, for the sorts of awards that they're talking about, drinkability awards, the market, isn't the market the, where that's determined? Is, isn't, you know, go into your well, bottle uh, and shop. This, and, and Matt, this is where the age old um, dilemma, are, you, are your awards for consumers or are they for the for the industry from which those, you know, those beverages are, are drawn? And the answer is it's a little from column A, a little from column B, because you've got to have, um, and look, every, every brewery who wins a, a, a trophy and mostly, you know, a gold or a couple of silvers and bronzes, you'll see in the next weeks and months, they'll be letting their followers and their, um, their potential customers know we won some awards. Yep. So there's, there's, they obviously see value in it from a consumer point of view, but they also, there are plenty who look at it as, okay, how did our, um, how did our XPA do this year versus last year versus the year before? What are the, what's the feedback? What are the comments? What did we think of the beer? Do we think it's improved? We think we, we're brewing it exactly the same, but clearly the market palette is changing. So those sorts of things need to need to come into it as well. So there's there's value in it for the brewers, um, benchmarking against what they've brewed in the past, as well as what their peers are brewing in, in similar um, categories. Yep. Uh, but also we can then market that to, you know, there are so many more beers on the shelf now. If somebody comes along and sees a little handwritten tag from the um, the manager or the beer expert at the bottle shop, whatever it might be, who says, you know, this got a gold medal at the AIBAs or the Indies or the Drink Easy Awards, that will mean something. Yeah, well, but see, again, I, I look at the way that awards are used. You know, I, I see a lot of brewers talking about we won a bronze at the AIBAs. Um, and when you speak to the judges and the people who are, putting the woods you know medals aren't one it's kind of like a benchmarking system it's, it's just like saying i won a five in my school result i got yeah. a five. I, yeah i, I, I yeah. got a five um yeah. but because it's called a medal our, and I know our that, beer, yeah our beer was was deemed yeah and maybe that's where we need to change when, when but, you speak to guys like uh, Stephen beaumont you know they go it's i don't like this every player wins a prize approach and you go well that's not what it is it's a benchmarking exercise and we know as industry insiders that that's what it is. And yet brewers present um, a bronze medal, um, which really means your it's, beer it, didn't your beer didn't have enough faults to not give it a medal. But it was, and, and it, it, was yeah, a, it was a commercially it was a saleable good, beer that was sort of exactly. two style, ended in the right style. Good example um, of what you were trying to do yeah. without being anything special. And it may have had one or two faults, yeah. but not not enough to. And I'm not dissing uh, no, brewers go who, who got a bronze because I could not make a bronze medal beer at the AIBAs. I'm not. But I think that when you present it to the consumer that we won a bronze medal as if, you know, um, you've come third at the Olympics, not quite the same thing as a bronze medal at the World Beer Cup, for example, where there is only one gold, one silver, one bronze. Yeah. But it's much more of a crapshoot in getting those as well. Um and you know, and, and, and that's what I say up front. It just comes down to, to to what the awards are and how they're presented. And I think that you know, if if you're a brewer that um, chooses to brew um, idiosyncratically to your own style and not sort of go, well, here's the target that I want to shoot for. I want to make a pilsner, and I want it, 
you know, I want to make a Pilsner. Here is a target I have to shoot for. I'll enter that in the awards and hopefully win a, a gold medal. If you decide that we're going to make our own freestyle beers for the public, I kind of don't understand why you then feel that you need some outside endorsement other than finding a market for your beers that people are selling. I don't know why you need to put a badge saying half a dozen industry people think that this is a drinkable beer um, and, and what and, and what that actually says in a meaningful way to a consumer because I, I would guarantee that a bunch of uh, flavour-experienced industry insiders are going to have a different completely subjective criteria to what the average punter in, and I've just said punter, Pete, punter, 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 punter. Um, the, the average beer drinker in the street thinks is is drinkable. And when you're just talking about this nebulous idea of drinkability, um, it really, really comes down to the subjective taste buds of the the, the, the self-appointed judges. Um, and, and I, and I yeah, don't yeah. know that. And look, you and I are probably the same. We've, you know, we can sit down and have, uh, uh, I'll use Captain Sensible as, a, as an example. A nice 3.5%. Um, there's, um, I believe, the hopping is pretty similar to what's in the, in the XPA or the, um, or, or the, the strong. Um, but to me, that's beautifully drinkable. But it's not necessarily as satisfying as you know if I'm sitting down having a a meal with you and and having a um, you know a Belgian triple, for example. There's that's that lacks drinkability. Yeah, but it's a in, the, in, the, in the, you know comparing apples with apples. Mm. But the satisfaction factor is is high. So is that is that then drinkability? You know. Yeah, and and as much. I, yeah. I, my my concern too, Matt, is that I I don't want to. Uh, downplay the awards because look, they have, I'd, I'd be very interested to see when they're actually run and won, yep. how it all works, and, yep. and what beers come come out. You know, inverted commas on top. Um, so I don't want to diss that, but I, I I have reservations about trying to create awards for beers that don't otherwise win awards because because yeah. you know, and, and using yeah. and using Tofas as an example, um, there is a place for Tofas beers. I love in, Tofas beers, yeah. In in the AIBAs and the Indies, I, I look you look at how well. Um, and a shout out to, to Will Tatchell down at, at Van Diemen, who who brews very similar um, style beers, I guess, in terms of the wild ferments, in terms of the mixed culture, in terms of the blended beers, um, that did really really well. So those beers. I, I think, from my experience, both back of house and front of house, as a judge and as a as a steward, there are place there there, there are places in those awards for those types of beers. So I, I just I don't want to think that well we need to create awards specifically for beers that uh, can't win awards in other award styles. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and look, I'll I can't say preface these comments because it's at the end of the comments. But so say, look, I, I, suffix, 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 because I I don't like to judge, and you know, like, and it's not that I don't back my palate because I think, you know, if I was to um, taste beers that have been entered in a competition, um, I I don't like the process of it. I don't like the analytical approach that removes it from the everyday approach. But if I sit down in a pub. Um, and drink a beer, um, I would be willing to sort of say that I would come within a point of, you know, what the judges would have come to for a whole lot of different reasons. Because I, I know what a good yeah, beer is. Yeah, your experience, your palate, 
um, your ability to um, yeah, interpret what a brewer is trying to yep. do and and then add up, you know, the analytical side of it. Have they achieved what they set out to do? This but is I what it says, it says on the tin. And the yeah. Scotty Hargraves and the Ian Watsons of the world, and I look at their ability to strip away the layers of a beer and things like that. That's something. It, it's actually something I don't want to do because it removes me. It, I don't want to be a brewer. It removes me from from that process. Um, but you know, so, so I actually don't want to judge a beer. But the thing is that I've done enough consumer beer tastings where I've thought, oh, gee, this beer's a little bit dodgy. There's something wrong with it. And had someone come up to me and go, mate, isn't this an amazing beer? And because it comes out of the brewer's attention, I think, well, the, that thing that you think is amazing wasn't meant to be there. Um, fault, yeah, the whole yeah, fault or feature. Yeah, fault or feature. Uh, and, 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 yeah. There's a perfect example of um, certain breweries that are, that are perhaps getting some, you know, rave attention at the moment um, that you and I have both and, – and to be fair, once was, was early in their um, – uh, in their in their journey, um, just couldn't see what the hype was about. Like, just couldn't. Uh, there were beers that we had that we sort of go, nah, but that that flavour shouldn't be in that in that style of beer. It's not particularly drinkable. But then you look at the the social media and people are raving about it. So you yeah. go, okay, so maybe, <laughs> yeah. what do, what do the, I want? Yeah, exactly. It's at the end of the day, like you say very often, Matt, and I have uh, said before in, in defence of, of awards and in public forums where we've we've talked about, you know, what makes an award-winning beer and how do the awards work and how to ensure integrity and that sort of thing. At the end of the day, it's a hedonistic pursuit, not an academic one. Not an intellectual one. Someone, no. someone pretty smart said that, Pete. I just gave you credit for that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I was just sort of, uh, looking, all about it. <laughs> I was going to the, yeah, I, I, I had zoned out, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, because I was just sort of looking at the time and thinking we probably should wrap this up. But we, we, we've touched on a couple of controversial issue, issues with, you know, the, the, the environment and also um, the, those awards. Go back and listen to um, the, the, the chat that I had with uh, Mike Benny because it was a really interesting chat and I'm not dissing the awards at all. Um, but no, tell us- I, re- I reserve judgment, Matt, until the awards have been run yep. and won and, and then I'll, um, I'll, I'll speak further about it then. But tell us what you think um, about um, the, the Drink Easy Awards um, and, and what uh, Mike said about it. Tell us what you think about, you know, what the role of environmental sustainability is and my idea of not just going out and marching but spending an hour researching your own environmental impacts and make a real difference yourself and not just feel good about calling on the government to do something. Um, and let us know what you think. Probably don't have time for mailbag tape, but thank you to everybody that did. Um I'll choose a, a winner, and um, actually, the, the the one I will say is that Simon Janetsky, um, who was at the Prairie Hotel in Parachilna, Parachilna, Parachilna in South Australia, remote. Most is remote this the most remote bar craft beer bar in the country? <laughs> so yeah. Parachilna apparently has a population of three. They put their own lager on tap, um, and uh, and no forex, uh, Great Northern or VB in sight. Which, uh, yeah, no, I thought that was nice. So do send us your travel snaps. We'll be posting a little bit um, on the Radio Brews News Facebook page um, as, as we travel next week. Um, and, yeah, and thank you to everybody who reviewed us on iTunes and, and all of the usual stuff. But And thank you for listening to us uh, this week. And, Pete, uh, I, I'm actually genuinely excited. I'm flying out Monday. Um, you're flying out a couple of days later because I'm off to Singapore and then Bangkok for Seabrew. And then meeting so Seabrew is SEA Brew, which is what Southeast, Southeast Asian, Asian Brewing Conference. Brewing Conference. Um, yeah, so I'm really, really excited to see what's going on over there. Um, again, it's a bit of a whirlwind, but uh, hopefully I'll get... And there are quite a few Australians going, um, so it'll be great to see who we 
bump into over there. Um, and then I'll be meeting up with you to have a beer in, in Portland. Very exciting. Portland, Oregon. You have now, to say Portland, Oregon, because you don't want to get Portland, mistaken for Portland, Maine. Oh, geez, I better check my flight details. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't no. laugh. Don't laugh, <laughs> listeners. It, it just might happen. No, I didn't know that. Uh, I, I didn't know that. Um, and I certainly booked the right hotel. Um, but uh, so, so next week, uh, we're not quite sure where we will be. But the following week, we're going to be, we'll be recording this for Joe, probably in San Francisco. Or no. We'll be in Denver. It'll be Friday in Denver for Thursday here, so we'll I can get on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But anyway, thank you very much. Um, don't forget, uh, a very good thanks to, a great thanks to uh, friends at Beer Cartel, who organise a mixed six-pack Australian independent beer for our Letter of the Week, and uh, to Rowling's Labels and Sickers, and to our very generous and loyal and long-time sponsors, Cryo Malt, who make this all possible. And thank you again to you, the listener, for uh, tuning in again. Um, but enjoy. Uh, we'll see you on the other side. We'll be stateside, so um, listen out for that and look out for our Facebook feed posts and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we'll no see you all again. photos. Yeah, holiday snaps uh, <laughs> next week. And we're out. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. 